So good to be with you this morning. Glad that you're here. This went fast, this series on eternity. We spent, uh, oh, six uh, Sundays together this fall thinking about this wonder that, uh, that we're a part of, eternity, which we're experiencing right now. This is part of eternity. But I think our questions aren't so much about this life, they're about the life to come. And uh, as, as Paul said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has begun to comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him. And certainly there's a, there's a profound sense of wonder when we think about eternity. But Paul goes on to say, but the Spirit has revealed these things to us. So there are some things about eternity that are not mysteries, they're certain, they're true. And, uh, and so we've been, we've been spending some time together believing that, that eternity is something that we should be thinking about. It's not something that we go to to escape from life, but it's actually something that profoundly gives life meaning. And uh, this is not uh, simply a doctrine that uh, Christians want to master. It's a reality, and it involves destinies, and it involves people, it involves souls. So one of the things that we've uh, um, experienced these last uh, weeks is on several of our Sundays, we've, we've uh, listened in as a, a couple of our staff members went to the local campuses, college campuses here in our community. I actually went to three different ones and just asked students uh, some questions about their thoughts about eternity, about heaven, and about hell, and, 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 and those kinds of things. And so uh, I'm just going, this is not a very long one, but uh, I think this might be helpful to, as, we, as we think about our last time together. So Mitch, the first question is, what happens when we die? I really don't know what happens when we die, and it's kind of concerning, because <laughs> I'm really scared of dying. <laughs> it's the truth. We don't all have certainty about what happens when we leave. God wants us to have certainty. He wants us to live with a sure and certain hope. Scriptures call it the blessed hope. When I was that guy's age, figure he's about 19, I was uh, living in southern Minnesota going to college. My parents were part of a home mission church that was just starting and, and a young seminary a student from, uh, well, he was going to school in Fergus Falls, and he'd put his wife and two kids in a light blue Pinto. Anybody remember a Ford Pinto? Anywhere. They were like the fire waiting to happen if they got rear-ended. Anyway, back in the day. But anyway, it was a Ford Pinto, and he'd drive back and forth, and he'd preach. And, and, and I remember what it was like to be in seminary and go out and preach. You just kind of hope you do a good job and get through it. And, and uh, he had probably no idea that there was a phrase that he spoke about in a sermon, and it was this phrase. He talked about living in the shadow of eternity. Now, I was 19. I was not thinking a lot about death and eternity, but that pastor, his name was Tim Istabo, gave me a sense that the life I'm living now has relationship to eternity. I'm living in the shadow of eternity. And one day, I'm going to see Jesus. One day, I'm going to see Jesus. 
But today impacts that moment when we shall see Jesus. I'm grateful for that. And I don't know if the Lord maybe has, uh, has reminded you of a couple of important things about eternity in this, in this series. I'll tell you one of the reasons that we've been in this series is because uh, the church in North America is not exactly prospering. In fact, even amongst evangelical churches, it is experiencing a sense of decline. But there are places where God is transforming lives. And it doesn't have to do with some new program or some better way of organizing or whatever. whatever. It really has to do with people getting a grasp of the reality of God, of, of, of the wonder of what Jesus done, has done for us, and taking it seriously. Embracing it, believing it, and living it, not just alone, but in community with others. I had a young... Uh, man come into, he's a family man, not as young as that guy. He had kids, and, and he was well into life, and he uh, was working uh, here in town at a, at a, uh, at a job, and, and he said, Pastor Jeff, can I come in and talk with you? Can I make an appointment to talk with you? I said, sure. And he, he wanted to talk about his relationship to his finances. I don't have a lot of people coming in and wanting to talk with me about that. I thought, this one's got to be interesting. But as he came in and talked, he said, um, he said, uh, I read a book and I really needed it. It's not that he wasn't a Christian. He was a Christian. But like a lot of Christians, he was grateful that Jesus had saved him from his sins so that he wouldn't go to hell. <laughs> But he wasn't all that excited about what he knew about heaven. He had this sense of it being kind of unworldly, kind of, of, of clouds and, and, and angels and harps and, and church services forever. <laughs> Doesn't that sound wonderful? <laughs> Wouldn't, wouldn't you just die so you could go sit in church forever? Maybe we should have a four-hour service today and get a little taste of it. What do you think? <laughs> no, but he, he said, and I realized that this call to believe and this call to actually live in a way that's different from the world so that I can go be part of something that I'm not all that excited about. He was very honest. He said, then I read a book on heaven, and it was really important for me to read it. Randy Alcorn um, has written a book called Heaven. <laughs> and it, he says this in this book. Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He need only convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. If we believe that lie, we will be robbed of our joy and our anticipation. We'll set our minds on this life and not the next. And we won't be motivated to share our faith. Why should we share the good news that people can spend eternity in a boring, ghostly place that even we're not looking forward to? He said, then I read his book. And it changed the way I thought about heaven it changed the way I thought about my salvation, and it changed the way I thought about living my daily life. 
I now believe that heaven really is going to be wonderful. I believe that it's going to be exciting. I believe it's, it's going to be much like life here, which is beautiful and broken, except there won't be any broken. <laughs> we were created for a world like this. And the world will be like it was meant to be. And I, in my resurrection existence, will have a body, and it'll be like, and, and I'm going to see Jesus, and I'm going to stand before Jesus. And things that I do in this life will matter then. He said, Pastor Jeff, I know this is a Lutheran church. And I, I get so much from a lot of your sermons. He said, but we talk a lot about grace. And almost like, it doesn't matter what we do, grace. He said, but Jesus talked about what we do mattering. And he talked about rewards in heaven. And I'm kind of excited about that. And it's giving my life now more meaning. I don't think I've honored him with my resources, with my finances. And he's given me an excitement to start honoring him. And I don't think that I've been either willing or excited about finding out what I can do to see other people come to know Jesus because they're going to be missing out on so much. And so I'm not, a, I'm not going to be a pastor, or you don't want me to sing, <laughs> but there are things that I could do, I think, that would be part of what God is doing to bring other people to Jesus. That wasn't our first conversation. We had a number of conversations that would follow that. And it's been fun to see the joy in his life as he's not only glad that he's not going to hell, <laughs> but he's excited about one day seeing Jesus and being in heaven. And in the meantime, has found meaning and purpose in the now. Understanding this isn't all there is, but what's going on now really matters. Now, I think I might have done the pastor thing and, and, and probably expanded a little bit on what he said. <laughs> But that's pretty much the gist of our conversation, and that was a significant conversation for me. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a story that Jesus told. He told three stories or parables, and as he, talked, as he got towards the end of his life, and, and at the end of the, of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talked a lot about what is to come, and he used parables. He talked about the parables of the ten bridesmaids or virgins, five of whom were, were prepared when Jesus uh, returned and five of whom who weren't. And then he talked about the parable of the talents. Some who actually took God at his, at, were grateful to be given things to steward in this life and did, and others who, who didn't. And then the last one is, this, uh, is the one that we're going to take a look at today, and it's found in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 31. And I invite you to follow along as, as we read. Now, you can't follow along for the whole thing in your book because we're not in heaven yet, and people make mistakes, even the pastor, believe it or not. And when I sent uh, my sermon text to, the, to, to our uh, Barron, who, who prepares these bulletins, um, I said 31 through 36, and I meant 31 through 46. Barron and I have worked together long enough, he should have been able to read my mind, but 
he couldn't. So you have some really good scripture, but I'm going to read even more, okay? So if you have your Bibles along, you might especially find this helpful. Okay, so this is Jesus. When the Son of Man, by the way, Jesus always referred to himself, often referred to himself as the Son of Man when when he was teaching here before his uh, death and resurrection. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and in prison, and you did not invite me in. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So when we see Jesus, then will be somehow related to when we see Jesus now as we're looking for Jesus. This morning, we're going to take a look at this story of Jesus, this parable of Jesus, and rejoice in three gifts from God that God gives us in his word. The first gift is this. God's word about eternity is clear. Have you ever been in a conversation when somebody's trying to say something that might not be totally easy to hear and they're kind of rambling and you say, hey Jeff, would you just get to the point? (laughs) God in his his love for us is not hesitant to be clear. And his clarity, although at times may be um, difficult or uncomfortable or even worse, offensive, If it's the truth, he knows we need to hear it. So he doesn't back off on the clarity. Interesting, as Jesus talks about the life after death, he talks about two options all the time. All the time. And he talks about them because he came came to save us from one of those options and save us 
to the other option. He doesn't give us a diagnosis of our need without an invitation to what he has done to meet us in our greatest need, and that's a need for a Savior. The first, uh, first John was written by Jesus' close friend, John the Apostle. Uh, he wrote this uh, probably very late in his life, after he had been seeing what God's Word does in people's lives, as it comes to them and shows them their need, and, and he has the privilege of, of, of showing them Jesus and the Holy Spirit draws them to God, and they find themselves believing. It, it, it's, a, it's a letter of assurance. I love this letter. If I had to pick a favorite one, it might be this letter, First John. John says here, and this is the testimony Get to the point, John. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So Jesus, as he talks about that great day when he returns, and, 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 and this is an amazing day. All of the nations will be gathered there from across all of time. They will be gathered in his presence, and they will be separated, some on his left, the goats, some on the right, the sheep. The left will hear those oh, awful words, depart from me, I never knew you. And the ones on the right will hear those words, come, Come and receive the kingdom that God prepared for you before the beginning of time. Come and experience what you were created for. And the defining moment, according to Scripture, consistently according to Scripture, is our relationship to God through His Son, Jesus. Not our mastery of theology, not our explanation of doctrine, but our childlike trust that God will do what he promised. He sent Jesus to save me from my sins. And I believe that he is the Son of God. And I believe that he did rise from the dead. And I believe I will see him one day. So I've invited him into my life to be Lord of my life. Now. Now. It's a wonderful thing to be a child of God. Jesus said, uh, as John quoted him in the beginning of, uh, or, or John described him in the beginning of his letter, he said that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him, but to those who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of flesh and blood, but born of God. We call it being born again at different times. That we receive a new identity. We receive a new relationship. And we receive a new passport, so to speak. We receive a new understanding of where home is. Home is in heaven. And he is our father. And this is amazing. John... Excuse me, I'm going to quote 1 John again. I really like this. John, in chapter 3, says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him.
Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Because we know who we are. More importantly, we know whose we are. And we've been told some very clear and, com- and, and compelling things about what is to come. So heaven is not just an item of curiosity. It is a defining factor in our lives. It's what we were saved for. It's what we were saved to. This beautiful world that is now so broken will no longer be broken. And we will have eternity to enjoy it. We'll be home. God's word about eternity is clear and it calls us. Calls us. God's word about eternity is also comforting. It's also comforting. We realize that the broken part of this world now, the most broken part of it, of course, is death. And when we are a child of God, we are not exempt from the prospect of death. Unless Jesus returns before that time, we will experience going through the veil of death. It's part of the brokenness. But God meets us in this brokenness. And he has a word, both for those who are facing death and those who are grieving death. And it has to do with what he has prepared for us. As a pastor, you might imagine that I have the privilege of being with people and bringing God's word and his presence by his Holy Spirit into times where death is imminent. I'm grateful for hospice, who is often there during those times too. If you've had a loved one who has recently um, uh, passed, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. They're amazing how they care for us. And there's a little pamphlet that uh, we received when my dad's end was, was near, and I see it often in, on the end table in homes where there is someone whose end is near, and it's called Gone From My Sight. It talks about what the the dying person is experiencing as they're doing a lot of reminiscing about the life that they've uh, been involved in as they're now anticipating uh, the future. And and in that, on the cover of that is, is, is a picture of a ship that's getting close to the horizon. This is not some kind of sentimental, wishful um, uh, imaging of eternity, but this is, a hel- I believe, a helpful way of understanding as we approach death. As, as, as we picture our loved one on this ship and it's getting close to the horizon, we're saying goodbye for now to our loved one. And they're about to disappear from sight. But on the other side of the horizon, there are those who went before us in Christ and they are saying, look, he's coming. He's coming. My dad's nickname was Sonny (laughs) because he was a junior. His dad's name was Ray his name was Ray. His son's name would be Ray. We've got lots of Rays in our family. They call him Sonny. And, and as I read this, here we go. I could be tempted to be emotional, but I'm not going to be. 
As I read this, I thought as we were saying, see you later, Dad. Grandma and Grandpa were saying, look, here comes Sonny. Here comes Sonny. This is not wishful thinking. This is part of the comfort about heaven. And it awaits all who have taken God at his word, who have embraced his promise, who believe. Wow, where's the time going? Okay, we've got to wrap this up. It's not only comforting, it is compelling. Jesus talked a lot about rewards. We have to fit that into our Lutheran theology. <laughs> rewards are not the same as work righteousness. We can't work to earn our salvation. Otherwise, when we get there, we'd wonder if we did enough. But the things that we do in this life bless the Father's heart. And he doesn't forget them. He doesn't forget them. Does he forget my sins? That's amazing. As far as the east is from the west, they aren't part of my story anymore. But we see three things in this story about, about that moment and, and, and what makes this worth it. First of all, um, none of the things that Jesus said that, that, his, that his own did for him while in this life were very complicated or hard or tough to figure out. They're like so obvious. Oh, she's thirsty. I think I should get her a glass of water. Oh, he's hungry. I maybe should see if I can get him something to eat. Oh, she spent a week with a crabby, colicky kid. I bet she's about ready to go nuts. Maybe I should go watch her kid so she can go out and have some me time shopping. They've lost a loved one. I bet they could use a cup of coffee. These are the kinds of things that aren't complicated. Yet these are the kinds of things that when we pray about thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's the kinds of things. The kinds of things that Jesus would do if he were you <laughs> and saw what you saw. The kinds of beautiful, basic, kind things that Jesus did. And he doesn't forget them. You know what was interesting? Didn't you notice in the story, what was interesting in the story is that those who did these things didn't even know they had done them for Jesus. They just thought this is what life should be. Yeah, because they had the Holy Spirit living within them. This becomes our new nature, our new default. Well, we better wrap this up. Oliver Wendell Holmes, who wrote in the, uh, the mid-18th century, he, he, very accomplished man, had a profound effect on America. He wrote in a new magazine called The Atlantic at the time. And, and he, he was very quotable. I like some of his quotes. This is what I like. He says, it's better to be 70 years young than 40 years old. Huh? That was a good one. Okay. Anyway, this one maybe not so much. Although it has a point. He said, he said, some people are so heavenly minded they are of no earthly good. Now I understand if all I'm thinking about is me and my salvation and how it's going to go and I can't wait till it's all over, if that's the impact that heaven has on me, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., by the way, his son Jr. made quite an impact too. He's got a point but thinking about heaven 
is God's gift to us to do just the opposite of making us no earthly good. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, and with this I close, he said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most about the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for just a a little time together thinking about eternity. And we thank you that you have revealed to us. No, we can't grasp it completely, but thank you for giving us enough of what we need to know. Not only to be prepared for that day when we enjoy what you have prepared for us from eternity past, as we think about being excited to be in heaven, to think that you're excited to share it with us. Thank you. Thank you. And as we think about heaven, may it make us very grateful for having heard the gospel, very tender and less judgmental towards those who have not yet come to know Jesus. And may it give our lives meaning and purpose. We can't wait to see you. We pray that you would give us grace to persevere when it's hard to follow you. That you would protect us from the enemy who continually tries to distract. He's using busyness really well these days to keep our thoughts off of you. But we pray that in this time and in this place, in this community, we would be counted amongst those who, because we are heavenly-minded, our salt and light in this community. And through our ordinary lives, we point to heaven. We point to Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.